0: The cost resides on the last mile. So companies with increased of e-commerce and increased of packages kind of started looking how to optimize this last mile. And uh, one of the best solutions for that is is a parcel locker. It allows you to drop multiple packages in uh, one spot instead of basically driving extra miles and increasing CO2 emissions.
1: Alberto here, and this is The Pitch. The Pitch is a weekly show where I interview founders from early-stage startups to analyze their businesses. We'll cover their problem, solution, potential market size, team, and more. So join me as we dig deeper in their ventures and discuss their growth potential. Today's guest is Miha Jagodic, founder and CEO of Block.it. Miha studied management at the University of Economics in Ljubljana. After working at ABC Business Academy, where he met his future co-founder, he started Block.it which is revolutionizing the last mile delivery with their smart parser locker solution. Hi, Miha. Uh, welcome on the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hey, happy to be here. To kick us off, could you give us an elevator pitch of what you're building at Blockit?
0: Sure. So uh, Blockit is a smart parser locker provider. We provide full end-to-end solution with uh, an emphasis on our software. Uh, we're tackling the logistics industry. Uh, we're optimizing the last mile delivery with our Smart parcel lockers, and I believe with our software-first approach, we kind of hit the the targets. We're growing 10x in revenue, I believe, three years in a row or even more now. So can't complain. Nice. And what was the
1: haha moment when you kind
0: of came up with this idea? Right. So um, our aha moment was actually long ago. It was uh, the first. It was a need, basically, a lack of kind of public storage. There was basically no. Um, opportunity to to place um, any of belongings uh, in public spaces. So this is kind of the, the first problem me as a person found. Uh, later on, uh, basically, the the final idea was triggered when Lime started launching the electric scooters and the whole electric scooter revolution. This kind of connected the idea of a hardware being control, controlled by software and everything being kind of on this sharing-based economy. And um, this is how from storage we kind of fall into the whole um click and collect the drop of pickup mm-hmm. market of lockers that is not just for storage anymore obviously. Mm-hmm. And if you had to dig deeper a bit on the on the problem, uh
1: there are are there any numbers that prove your problem, kind of any key insights that would motivate what you're doing?
0: Yeah, so the problem we're solving with our uh, smart lockers so uh just for the context the for logistic process the 90% of the logistic process the cost resides on the last mile so companies with increased of e-commerce and increased of uh, packages kind of started looking how to optimize this last mile and uh one of the best solutions for that is uh is a parcel locker it allows you to drop multiple packages in uh, at one spot instead of uh basically Driving extra miles and increasing CO two emissions. Basically, that's a great solution. So that's that's the problem we're solving. We're solving it f- mainly for uh, couriers, logistic companies, uh, to some extent to e-commerce and uh, marketplaces. So yeah, and this is kind of the problem for our business partners. Then the problem that some of our the final customers also have. So the final users of our solution is also that they like to um, to have a pre- predictability where and when they will pick up a package. So this is also a benefit that uh, a smart locker provides. Mm-hmm. And do you have any kind of insights on
1: why now is the right moment? I mean, you started building it uh, some years back, right? Mm-hmm. But like, why do you feel like now? <laughs> you might be at an inflection point. There is growth potential. Uh, why now, parcel lockers?
0: So the biggest boom definitely happened during COVID. I think everything is related to increased um, kind of e-commerce and increased amount of packages to be delivered. Uh, so this kind of accelerated the whole industry. So that's one thing. Just increasing e-commerce the second one is also an awareness of uh, a little bit of the environment environmental issues and the co2 emissions uh so two very trendy topics parcel lockers kind of tackle both so i think that's the um, that's why mainly mm-hmm. and digging
1: deeper uh, in your solution so what's a, what is your product offering uh specifically
0: right so um as mentioned at the beginning we provide a full end-to-end smart locker solution uh, that goes for the hardware and uh, obviously also on the software so when it comes to software uh it's it consists of uh, multiple products uh from the interfaces that we offer for the final user to interact with the locker these are the apps basically a screen on the locker then it's a software on the locker and then we also have a very extensive public api which makes it very easy for companies to integrate with our solution if you have an e-commerce store, you can almost uh, instantaneously use our parcel lockers, as well as um, as well as a back office dashboard that we provide to our uh, partners, basically to monitor the whole locker network. So it's kind of in a nutshell, the full scope of our solution. Mm-hmm. And if you had to think of like uh, what is
1: the key advantage your product has, uh, kind of the the software specifically has compared to the lockers? Are you focusing more on like selling the software? Are you focusing more on the lockers? Are you focusing on both?
0: No, it's good that you asked. That's one of our main differentiators. Many companies are basically manufacturers uh, focused on hardware, hardware engineering. We approach the industry from a little bit different perspective. Uh, We're a software first approach. Uh, We believe that the, the software is a key to the whole solution mainly because software allows you to it kind of defines the user experience allows you to easily integrate with the partners and just makes the whole flow of of, of the usage everything from the e-commerce store through careers to the pickup of the final users much easier so we're paying a lot of attention to that and uh, it's where we want to have an advantage on the market mm-hmm. and
1: looking at your product in the in the future uh, where do you see it going what do you see it becoming?
0: So there's definitely a lot that can be done. There's a lot of use cases that are not explored yet. Uh, we've just recently noticed in the industry that parcel lockers are not just to deliver package, and and that being a last mile. There's also a return of packages, which can be a, a first mile. One thing that we're practicing a lot lately is uh, for marketplaces, so for a user to be the first one to interact with the locker, and on the other hand, also the last one to interact with the locker. So this type of exchanges, first last mile, and multiple other use cases that can still be applied. So I would say that smart lockers are going to become more and more multifunctional
1: okay and if you uh, look at your target customers how do you find the right uh, companies to work with because i feel like there are as i mentioned like almost anybody that delivers something can benefit from this but how have you gone about finding your early adopters and how do you who do you target now basically
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so we see a lot of market segments having a use of uh, smart lockers there's so smart lockers are becoming part of a business model of, of many, many market segments. I've spoken mainly about logistics, obviously, that goes with e-commerce and marketplaces. There's also retail that's very interesting uh, that uses lockers not for less mile, but more for a click and collect solution. We have smart facilities adopting smart lockers, but then also some slightly smaller market segments. An example is um, pharmaceut- pharmacies, uh, laundry stores and so on. So. What we basically look at first is uh, how scalable the use case is. That's very important. Just to name an example in logistics, in order to make a locker network work, there's there's kind of a golden standard, kind of the, the threshold that there needs to be one locker placed per ten thousand people in a certain area, right? And that's the minimum. So we're we're definitely looking if project is going to be successful in the future. In the future, based on some some of the metrics, so we want to know that the company is serious in in larger deployment because we want to be part of projects that are successful. Yeah we're trying to build a perfect record
2: mm-hmm.
0: okay but if you had to like kind of go back and remember like the first
1: clients you worked with which one were those and which i assume they had more acute pain or you were really good at finding them i don't know but like who who were those first customers you
0: you had on so i believe the the first one it was actually a client from france and it was delivery of uh fresh goods so it was a uh, a smaller, more local e commerce store that placed lockers around and uh delivered their products into the lockers make it more convenient for people to 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 use them to use the service. The use case was quite unique because they didn't have a physical store say but they wanted to have an offline presence and some kind of pickup point that basically the smart lockers provide them
2: mm-hmm.
0: and
1: how what point are you now it's like so how many uh, clients do you have like a range uh, and also many lockers are out there?
0: yeah so as mentioned we're growing quite fast we've worked with more than 15 partners so far um obviously some projects are bigger some are smaller maybe we wouldn't talk about them specifically because some are still ongoing and and they have quite a huge plans but um basically uh for this year we're planning to our targets for this year are to place five thousand lockers uh so that would be quite a big jump like i mentioned before with uh revenue that would be kind of a 10x jump also in the lockers place for, for this year. Okay, not bad. Yeah, um, I, I, as I said, I can't complain. Um, <laughs> I would say that, that the, the market is, is really good right now and uh, we're, we're having a lot of luck that we were able to position in a way that um, our partners recognize us as, as a trustable partner to build such infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And I feel like your product can kind of be sold
1: everywhere in the world with no kind of big changes in the product itself right and so on <laughs> On one side this is like a pro you could go everywhere on the other side could be a cons because how do you focus in which countries to expand basically
0: yeah it's great that you mentioned um before we touched that um that the market for smart lockers is a bit uh, market segment agnostic it's also geographically agnostic uh like you said uh we've been talking to potential partners uh so our biggest presence, obviously, is in Europe. Uh, we have, we're have we creating now a presence in the MENA region. Uh, we've been working with uh, countries in companies from Latin America, and there's uh, we've been having demand also from, from the US, Canada, as well as Australia. So it, it's crazy in a sense how diverse the market segments are, but then also how adopted the solution is everywhere in the world, right? So it makes it very hard at the beginning when you want to Start the the company. You're afraid to decline any basically any demand, any order, even if it's super small, very hard to make, and if it's half a world away. So at the beginning, we were kind of doing this everywhere and, and selling everywhere. We were focusing mainly in inbound. I think inbound works great in this uh, in this market. We don't need to approach many uh, many companies to to build a pipeline. But once we started growing, we were focusing more and more. And this is, these are the metrics that I was mentioning before. So we're focusing on companies that can scale, companies that has uh, have a proven use case. And uh, yeah, we're just a little bit more picky to make a project as best as we can make it and, and also as large as we can make it. Mm-hmm. But you don't have an approach kind of
1: on a country-by-country country base, meaning like this month we target this country, next month we target another country. You are more kind of what's interesting out there it doesn't matter where it is we we can go everywhere
0: yeah that's correct so besides inbound that we focused most outbound is very sniper approach we see companies that we really want to work with and we target them and we try to present them with the case what you mentioned i believe is the next stage step for us now that we build the certain credibility and now that we can work on multiple large projects simultaneously uh, we will start forming kind of regional sales teams and uh, business development teams that will enable us a bit easier approach to, to certain regions. So I think the next step for us is actually just kind of conquer region per region, maybe not mm-hmm. country per country, because not every company can afford a large locker network, but region per region mm-hmm. is, is probably okay. the next step. Yeah. Okay.
1: So if you had to kind of summarize your go-to-market up to now, is that you got most of it From inbound so it's like people were interested they would reach out and then uh, you would use outbound just to target like the exceptional companies that you found were a good fit and you didn't have to focus so much more on like on the rest basically
0: yeah that's how it's been working so far we we noticed that focusing a lot on outbound compared to uh the conversion rate of the leads that come inbound are kind of inbound just works much better so it's we need to be very careful not to waste an effort on on spending a lot of outbound energy so also Projects can be really large. If a large company decides to build infrastructure in their own locker network, they can really give you a lot of work. And uh, what we notice is that at the end, every project gives you the same amount of work. So you want to work on a project that that really gives you basically large scale.
1: Mm -hmm. And so then
0: getting into the business
1: model, so you know what to do, how do you make money out of it?
0: Yeah, so basically we sell a locker and then we charge our software as a SaaS fee. So it's a pretty straightforward model, basically a mix of hardware and software. Mm -hmm.
1: And do you see this current model as scalable or you see in a future in which you will focus only on software because on software you could grow way faster without having to worry about the operational aspects of it and just delegating it to companies on the ground, for example?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So so far, the market's been still early enough that it was very hard to make business only with software. You had to attach it to hardware, right? I think in the future, more and more opportunities there is going to be only for software, meaning you can apply software on existing locker networks, that's one thing, but also just make partnerships with different manufacturers that could basically use your software as part of their solution and go into this kind of distribution model. I think that's that's something that could be very interesting for us, given the fact that we're super software oriented, we'd be probably looking into apply as many basically uh, software operating system on as many lockers as we can mm-hmm. okay and do you see this also
1: like your software expanding uh in order to be like kind of more marketable in terms of providing analytics like telling you maybe like how to optimize your delivery strategy or i don't know a thousand things that could happen like kind of leveraging data giving back data to the company that you can collect and allow them to use those to make decisions in terms of like what do they deliver maybe they can even ask offer a discount to someone that orders to a certain locker because it's cheaper to get it delivered there or
0: right 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 no yeah it's definitely interesting um we potentially collect a lot of data because we have a lot of interactions of um, of the lockers and through our back office systems we can follow a lot of also the customer behaviors the thing is if if a service is owned by a customer, not many times we have a chance to actually have a, this, this type of overview. So we would have to go into some kind of agreement. So we do collect such data as a technology provider. We don't really work with them because we're kind of in the technology selling business. So as, as we're not owning the um, kind of the, the customer's interaction, we don't own the customer data. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a very interesting model to to explore, mainly because yeah, you can really collect a lot of data. Mm-hmm. And... Then like
1: more related kind of on your internal company, like kind of from an internal side, let's call it. How do you see the company scaling? Uh, do you think you will become a company with <clears throat> 5,000 employees or you would be able to focus more? I mean, we already spoke about software, but like really from a company perspective, do you see it will become 5,000 company employees or you get to 1,000 and that's more than enough to cover the market? Uh, what's your there?
0: Yeah, no, I think in in kind of... From what you were suggesting, I think we're closer to a thousand employees company. That's because we work per project. So one project can scale to a lot of units. So you don't need, uh, I think the 5,000 is more like a B2C business case in which you actually need to uh, approach a a lot of people. And also the customer support is much more diversified. Since we're more into B2B area, I think this is uh, our more realistic scenario is to reach somewhere about thousand employees. But yeah, we're definitely willing to scale. I think... The biggest difference is going to be once we start actively formatting the entities in different regions. Uh, I mentioned before, MENA region. I'm pretty sure once we expand into US, uh, to the US, it's going to be kind of a big jump of the, our employee base. So, yeah. Okay. And if you
1: have to look at uh, traction, I mean, you are at a point where, well, you've been around for a while. But what's the number uh, that makes you feel like
0: you're doing the right thing? Uh, and what are the most important KPIs in that sense? So the most important KPI definitely for us is how many softwares we can apply, how many software operating systems we have applied to how many lockers, right? The second KPI is how many lockers we sell. So these are the most important ones. Um, our goal is to, by the end of next year, to have our software running on 10,000 machines. That's a milestone that we, we will say, okay, that's, that that's something we were working towards. And uh, currently the goal is to have this by the end of next year. So yeah, that's what we're wor- working towards. And that's something that we will celebrate once we get to this, but not before that, probably.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Uh, if you look at, uh, you mentioned like how, why the
1: market is interesting and so on, but if you had to size this market, how would you go about it? And like
0: what's how big is it? Right. So I might be a bit biased because I'm in this industry, but I believe the market is huge. I can see the growth of it. So the most dense countries... Poland is a great example, right? Uh, Poland is, I believe, has the most lockers per country uh, in absolute value. I think their density is around one locker per 2,000 people. And we still see a lot of companies approaching it. I've seen a report in in which basically they said that the peak of the industry is going to be where one locker is going to be. So there's going to be one locker place for 500 people. So just try to imagine the geographical, the, the how. Uh, geographically agnostic the market is and if there's going to be one per 500 people this can really make a huge market right it's not going to be overnight it's not going to be everywhere at the same time but if we reach that the market's going to be huge there's hundreds of thousands of lockers to be placed i believe just to compare what what's in asia right now or in china there's a potential to place uh, i believe 500,000 lockers still in europe and europe and us right now so in my opinion The market is huge and the market is in billions, obviously.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I don't know if you agree, but during COVID, there was an e-commerce boom, as
1: you mentioned. But after there has been like a de boom, let's call it like, uh, so you see many e-commerce players that are firing a lot of people, kind of this, uh, mm-hmm. il- there was this, this feeling that once we buy online, we will never go back. But the reality is that when we could go back, we went back. Right. Uh, I mean, not in every purchase, but a lot. So sure. like you see it in like the, the, the chart of many companies, yeah. right? Across yeah. industries. Do you feel kind of the same path affects? Uh, lockers or you think that it's a bit different because it could actually be the cure to e-commerce problems like cost of delivery for example
0: no so the thing is that lockers should be there before the covid boom started covid boom was just something that uh, triggered a real need it kind of showed people you need to use lockers obviously lockers also during covid were an opportunity to receive package without actually meeting a person, right? It was like an exchange place. So that was just a trigger. That's a solution that uh, needs to be out there. But it's not that a locker is a solution that would only work during COVID. So for that reason, lockers are there to stay. They're becoming a part of a basic infrastructure. You can actually see it in uh, in majority of cities. They're kind of, yeah, part of the city infrastructure now. Makes sense. And so now talking about the competition,
1: who's out there, mm-hmm. uh, how do you for AIM competition, so like, along which matrix, Like, along which dimension do you think you're competing and what are the player out there?
0: Right. So, well, that's definitely an inconvenient topic, especially if someone's going to hear this, right? Um, I would say that our competition mainly was uh, is bigger than us because the competition is coming from also some of the legacy solutions. It could be some manufacturing companies doing multiple products in the past and kind of seeing an opportunity in smart lockers and coming here to this market. So we're a company that is based on smart lockers and it exists because of smart lockers so our history or our origin is a bit different for that reason the, the other companies at the moment are slightly bigger so uh, that that's probably one interesting uh, thing i noticed starting the company otherwise i think everyone is offering a little bit different so the market is still a bit young the industry is still a bit young so every every offer is a bit different so probably when a partner is deciding who they want to work with either is that us or if maybe someone else they probably choose based on what are the advantages of of each company for us definitely is uh software as an our advantage mm-hmm. so if if this is more important to them they will probably go with us i don't think there's an offering that is exactly identical to another one and um that, that's kind of how you how yeah partner can distinguish mm-hmm. in between the uh, different offers mm-hmm. but more in terms of
1: like when the need you're solving right so right now Companies come to you and uh, they make a project with you to install lockers they can use for their deliveries. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't they go and use uh, DHL lockers? I don't know, like in Germany, it's full of DHL lockers everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. I don't say Amazon because it's Amazon, it's only Amazon, but like other lockers right. uh, uh, and so on. Like, why do you think is that? Is there a threshold? It's like, if you are big enough, it's more convenient for you to build your own lockers because they're going to charge mm-hmm. you tons of money for those. Or how's the, how's the situation?
0: Yeah, I know that's a great question. Uh, first of all, I think there's there's different types of kind of locker infrastructure companies. You have a locker company that uh, makes an agnostic networks, invites different logistic partners to deliver in them, and they basically just provide infrastructure. And then on the other hand, like you said, you have DHL that uh, is delivering only for themselves. And mainly the companies that's don't have an open network that only have lockers for their own needs are usually companies with a huge volume because they want because they can justify having their own locker network and for them the most important thing is to really optimize the last mile cost so that that's one thing another thing is that why large companies i believe are not deciding to join uh, agnostic networks is so it really optimizes their cost Imagine they heavily depend on a, an agnostic locker network. Amazon comes by, buys the locker network. Overnight, they stay without an infrastructure that was yesterday crucial for them, right? So I think it just provides them a security. Uh, they really have big benefits from it. So they want to own it and they want to make sure it's there and it, and it, suits, and it fits their needs the best. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all those companies that are big enough
1: to justify their own network are probably going to go toward a solution like yours because of the business too much.
0: No, definitely. And we also provide solution for the agnostic network builders, right? Companies that are building solutions on their own. We build such as well. We've, we've been working on a project like this in, in the Netherlands. So,
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, and now shifting back to kind of internal
1: topics and your company. Sure. How is how is your team? Maybe like starting from the founding team. Uh, why do you think you are the right people to build this kind of company? And then also talking about like the other people that now work with you. Why do you think you have the the right skill set there?
0: Right. So I'm definitely super happy about our team. I think we've been uh, we've achieved a lot. And and uh, longer I do this, the more I realize that team is incredibly important. It's a number one important thing, and the number two and number three that contributes to success, probably goes down to 10. The, the founding team, we're three founders. Both of my co-founders are Portuguese. That's why I'm also in Portugal. So uh, both of them are more on the technical aspect of it. I'm a little bit more a, a commercial guy. So I'm not kind of driving the the technology of the product. Otherwise, yeah, our team is growing quite fast. With, with uh, As you can imagine, following the growth, we're adding people on a monthly basis. And yeah, soon we're going to be in the 30s. Uh, so yeah, that's... It's it's going. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you had like really to,
1: maybe let's talk about yourself because uh, maybe you don't want to talk about the other founders, but like yourself, like why do you think you are really good for this role as a founder? What are the qualities or the experiences that you think Mm -hmm. make you a great founder?
0: Right. Yeah. But I'm forcing you to minute. say that you are a great founder, <laughs> by the way. I know. <laughs> I know, I know. You're, you're putting words in my mouth. No, it's, it's it's funny because uh, I'd be very happy to to talk greatly about myself, right? But I also don't want to seem too narcissistic. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I think um, I I always wanted to do it. I always wanted to do business. I think uh, I would like to say I have the right skill set, but I just can't find a way not to seem. I don't like to talk too good about myself. I would like to have results and other people talk more about myself. What I can do well is I can make people that are smarter than me work together and work well I could do this with my co-founders I could um, I'm able to convince people and uh developers in my team that are much smarter than me that I'm smarter than them so that's uh that's definitely something I can confirm I can do so and this is what worked well for me mm-hmm. amazing so talking about uh the future and now I do this exercise that
1: founders. Mostly eight, but I think it's, re- it's a really interesting thinking exercise, which is in some years, block it didn't work out. Some problems. We don't know what, right? Uh, what right. do you think could be these uh, challenges? What are the problems ahead that, are, yeah, the, the risk ahead that you can't really like control now? Yeah. But you think could, you could face in the future?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's another great question. I was thinking about this question for a long time because you need to figure out what's your... What's going to end you so that you can prevent it, right? And um, after thinking all about the supply chain, the complexity of building a hardware product and to combining it with all the software issues, I think the the biggest kind of issue or what would end us is that if we don't hire well, if we don't hire the right people, I think it gets down to that. If something happens in the future, right now, I would say we didn't have the right people to do it. That's because we, the market is uh, proven and is growing. We've been able to, to sell, we're able to execute. So longevity, I guess, depends on the talent that you can get in the team. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Talking about your funding situation, uh, have you already raised and are you looking to raise again soon?
0: Yeah, we've, we've raised in the past. We're break-even, so we're not necessarily raising for survival or we're not super pressured to do that. Even though that's, that's uh, great, again, it enables you to, to hire the best talent and to scale even faster we've had two rounds so far but they were not extremely huge from from what it's um kind of it's been a trend in the recent years mm-hmm. okay so
1: do you kind of see conditions in which you're gonna raise so you may, you say like i'm break even i don't really need it but it could enable me to do x is there a moment where you say i feel like we are quite solid if we get this money we could go and like grow under X, basically
0: right so right now actually we're at the stage where we would need one more round to seize the momentum we're having and, and seize more of the market. I think the moment is right. We we don't need a round for survival again, but I think right now is the moment that could really um accelerate our growth to have one. So I am actively fundraising and uh yeah, the, the goal is like like I said, seize the momentum we're having and seize as much market as we can. Amazing. Great. All the questions done on my side, is there something we didn't cover you would like to add? No, I think we covered very well, actually. I'm happy to talk about the market always. I keep reminding myself that I'm very optimistic about the market, so I like to talk about this topic.
1: So yeah. Amazing. Great.
0: Dan, it was great having
1: you on. I loved our conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks
0: Alberto. Nice to see you.
1: Love this chat with Miha. We have known each other for years and I'm always amazed by their progress. Growing 3x triers in a row and being breakeven is no small achievement. Parcel lockers are not only convenient for companies, but also for customers. You have no idea how many times I had to look door to door searching my package in Berlin. I also agree we need to reduce last mile delivery carbon footprint. If I was an investor, I would totally take a look. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with your friends. Also, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn with any feedback or questions. Thank you for listening.